What's going on, everybody? This is Jeff Hillen with Selling Stories, where we discuss the struggles, successes, and life lessons learned through sales and in sales. I've got El Presidente, <laughs> no, not Joe Biden. I've got Nevin Byer, president of Keystone Bonding. Nevin, good morning. How are you doing? Good, good morning. I'm doing well. And yourself? I'm doing great. Listen, Nevin is a busy guy, and the only way I could flag him down was to do a 6.45 a.m. on a Saturday. Nevin and I knew each other going way back. I actually started my sales career. He was a mentor to me. So, Nevin, without further ado, I like to start off some random questions. One I have for you is, do you know or remember the greatest sale you ever made and the lesson it taught you? That's interesting you asked that. Yeah, as salespeople, and I listen to your podcast, we're kind of addicts in a way. Most salespeople believe that their greatest sale is the last one they made. They're all great. I've worked in the automobile finance business, home commercial finance business. I've worked in the surety bond business. But my first job out of college for about six months, I worked at a car dealership. And they had a Volkswagen Corrado on the lot, brand new. It was a beautiful car. It was black with tan interior and had every option that, that was offered. It was a 93, and I graduated college in 94. The 93 hadn't sold because it was a $28,000 Volkswagen, which back then was a ton. I didn't know any better. But I knew to qualify my, and a young guy came on the lot and said he'd been working two jobs, saving for this car. And I said, oh, okay. So, you know, you've got money and he pulls out his bank statement. And he shows me his bank statement and he's like, yeah, I got money. You know, I got to finance some of it, but you know, I've got money. I'm like, you got a driver's license? He's like, yeah. I'm like, you want to drive it? And he said, sure. So we went out and uh, drove it. Of course he loved it because you know, that he wanted that car and he paid full price for it to him. It was it was very valuable because it was the last new one in the country. I didn't think anything of it, but the, you know, sales manager said to all the salespeople in the dealership, there's probably 10 of them. Hey, this is what happens when you put fresh eyes on something. Here comes this new guy and comes in and qualifies as buyer and keeps moving. The lesson is everybody's your customer. Money's all green. Don't judge a book by its cover. This guy knows what he wanted. As long as you were able to just keep that process flowing in a way that made it easy for him to say yes continually, the situation didn't have to be like, man, you don't want that car. Why don't you look over here? Yep. You get him in that car and you got him behind the wheel and did all the right things. Yeah. If you're asking qualifying questions, if their head is shaking up and down, they're nodding up and down and you never get a no, you're going to make a sale. You don't have to convince them. If you know that, don't keep talking. Just get them to the signing table and get it done. They want to buy. They don't want to be sold. They're educated enough to know what they want. You don't have to educate mm -hmm. them on why they're making a good decision. Correct. You have a great story about starting your own business. You decided to start Velocity Financial and what became of that? After I left the, the car business, I ended up working in the mortgage section of some of these finance companies. I decided to start my own company. It was called Velocity Financial. The first couple of years were awesome was a license to print money. We did mortgages on homes. We did mortgages on businesses, anything you needed a mortgage on. We did non-standard or subprime mortgages. That on. word subprime is going to twinge with some people, right? That's, that's, yeah, it's, it's an ugly word to some people, but, but we yeah. did them. The other thing I tell up and coming salespeople is treat everybody like they're your sister or your mother. If you wouldn't hit your mom with a 5% 
fee on a on a mortgage, don't hit your customer with that. You'll make it up in volume because they'll refer you. The first year Howard Stern was really popular and I used to buy radio commercials, probably spent $50,000 on radio commercials. What was the decision-making process to spend $50,000 to have an ROI on that money? So why did you want to go there and how did you determine that that money was going to be not just money you lit on fire or did you just take a risk because you, you had a gut intuition? Uh, everybody was listening to Howard Stern. Everybody was talking about Howard Stern and a radio salesman came to me and showed me the demographics. They were exactly the kind of people that would take mortgages from me. $200 for a 30-second spot and then you could pay $1,000 and Howard Stern would actually read the script for you. I advertised on Howard Stern for like three or four years, and then I didn't have to advertise anymore because I literally got referrals from all the people that I had brought in from the advertising. And word of mouth is the best advertising you can ever get. Was there any people that you remember where you're like, gosh, this person should not get this size loan, but you were able to fund it? There was a waitress that wanted to buy a $450,000 house. Realistically, she made $28,000 a year. She had good credit. That wasn't a problem. Then we, the subprime industry had what's called liar loans, where you just wrote down what you made and you qualified. I would take it a step further and I'd say, okay, well, you're making all this money. Why don't you show me your bank statements and let's see how much you're really depositing in, you know, in tips. I make $500 in tips a night. Okay, let's see it. You didn't have to do that at the time. And I just sat her down. I said, listen, you're going to be house poor. You're going to have this great big house and you're not going to be able to go on a trip to South Carolina and you're not going to be able to do anything that you want to do. All you're going to be doing is working to pay for this house. Is that really the life you want to lead? And she got angry for a little bit. And then she called me about two weeks later and said, you know what? You're right. I don't want to live like that. Let's just get a smaller house. And so I pre-qualified her for a smaller house. But I found it sometimes you got to tell people what they don't want to hear. But a lot of people in that business at that time were doing really underhanded stuff and they were going to jail. I just refused to do it. I've been married to my wife for 20 years and she says, I'm amazed at how well you sleep at night. And that's because I don't have anything on my conscience. It's important that people hear that because in sales specifically, there is going to be a lot of situations that test the true identity of your character and determine who you really are. It's easy to stand in front of somebody and tell them who you are. It's a difference to be tested through situations that pop up here now and again. And you're going to have that like little devil on your shoulder telling you, Jeff, it's okay. Or Nevin, somebody's going to sell her that mortgage. Why shouldn't it be you? There's that part of you that knows what's right. And in sales, if you've been through it enough and you have the confidence in your ability to help educate your buyer on put this vision out there, you made it very clear for her what her life was going to look like. She mm -hmm. made this decision. And by visualizing that life figures out, well, I want this house, but I also don't want this to be the, the rest of my life. Yeah. And, and, you know, the other thing is you're going to see that person again. I never wanted to be the guy that walks into a restaurant or a bar and has to hang his head and, and walk the other direction because there's somebody I gave a bad mortgage to or, or jacked up their finance on their car or didn't do their surety bond right. And that's worth more than any money 
that you could ever get. The other thing that hits my mind, I never talk bad about my competitors. I can't control things about them. In our industry, if somebody makes a new forklift, it might be a really cool forklift. Like somebody that works in a different state or different country might have developed this new thing that it's like, hey, that's that's pretty awesome. And I remember when I was working for a competitor at the time, my current employer, they had a product that was, it was nice. It was sick. I, I didn't have it. But what I could sell was me. And so when I told somebody, listen, I don't have that product. I don't. And if that's, if that's exactly what you want, I don't have it. You should buy it from them. However, there's a lot more that goes into this buying decision. When there's problems, who do you want to have to call to help you? When you have an invoice that you can't get an answer on, do you have confidence that I'm going to sit there and get you what you need? Or do you have a relationship with somebody else that you feel like they can too? And I think that's super important for a lot of people to understand. There's a lot of people in sales that always want to look at the negative. What don't I have? What does somebody else have that I don't? And if you put your mind there, you're always going to be frustrated. You're always going to have a negative attitude. And it comes across poorly to people. They don't want to buy from you if that's the person you are. They want to have people that are strong and confident and feel belief behind who they are and the products that they have. Or you were with your mortgage industry and your, the CEO, you could stand there and feel good and sleep well because you knew what you were providing was the best solution and you believed it and people yeah. believed in you. Yep. And they believed in me and, and, and they referred business to me. And even when I got out of the industry, I'm sitting at home one night and, and the landline rings, which it never does because everybody calls on the cell phone anymore. And someone had looked me up in the phone book by name and called my house to see if they could get a mortgage from me. And I'd, wow. been, out of, I'd been out of the mortgage business for seven, eight years. That's amazing. Oh. You know, like people have been talking now for a while. There's going to be a recession. There's going to be some negative things that happen here. And nobody has a crystal ball. You went through a difficult time as an owner of a company where there was regulations put in place to change your business and totally made you go into a different line. So can you talk about that experience for how changes were made and how it affected your business? Sure. The mortgage industry was awesome until 2008. And then we had a professional organization called the Pennsylvania Mortgage Brokers Association. And uh, I went to a meeting and I saw all this legislation and it was both sides of the aisle were proposing it on how they were gonna basically shoot the salesman for all these subprime mortgages. They were gonna make mortgage brokers, but not the banks, just the mortgage brokers, disclose what's called yield spread. And yield spread is how mortgage brokers make their money. Let's say uh, you borrow the money from the bank at six and a quarter percent, and then you lend it to Jeff at six and a half. Well, that quarter percent generates thousands of dollars over the 30 years of the mortgage. And the actual banks that would pay the mortgage broker a portion of that yield. So that's mm -hmm. called yield spread. So we made most of our money on yield spread. Mortgage brokers were going to have to disclose yield spread, but banks weren't. So they were effectively going to make it so that on paper, every bank looked like they were given a better deal than a mortgage broker was. And, and that was completely not the case. Yeah. So I saw that coming and tried to keep working through it. I just started doing more commercial loans. And then in 2008, I think it was August or September, 320 banks went out of business. And a lot of those banks were the banks that I sold the mortgages I made to, again, using elementary terms. Yeah. So there's pretty, pretty much five banks left, Chase and PNC and all the big banks you've heard of 
were left and they didn't do the kind of mortgages that I was writing. So I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to get stuck with these. So I, I talked to Citibank into taking my portfolio of, of what I had left. And on the same day, kid you not, a woman called me and said, hey, can you analyze a financial statement? Ask me all these accounting questions. And I said, yeah, you know, I can do this and I can do that. And then she said, the last question, I said, what? She said, do you know what a surety bond is? And I, I've never heard of it. And she said, well, according to this chart, you could write one. Hmm. And so that's when I positioned into doing surety bonds. But it was devastating, you know, to have something that you've built from scratch and then to have government regulation and have no friends, by the way. It was, it was conservatives and liberals were tearing the mortgage industry down as fast as they could. And effectively, their policy was, hey, we're going to shoot all these salesmen. We're not going to get the product, which was coming from the banks. That came later. It was a witch hunt, right? I mean, at the end of the day, there was you know a lot of pain at the time. There was people, unfortunately, not able to afford their house or their house was less than what they had appraised it for. And there's all these crappy loans that people had written. And yep. now everybody's looking around going, who's to blame? And they had to point a finger somewhere and start somewhere. When that call happened, was that something that you were like, this must be a sign? I'm not very religious, but it was definitely a sign from God because it went from oh my gosh, what am I going to do? This is my whole life. I've built this thing from scratch and now I'm going to be destitute to here's your opportunity to move into something else that you already have skills to do. What is surety bonding and why does somebody need it or why does company need it? Okay. So a surety bond is a financial services product that is sold by insurance agencies and you have to have an insurance license to write it even though it really doesn't have a lot to do with insurance. People think it's an insurance. It's a third-party guarantee of performance. So what that means is contractors working public or, or government jobs. So the, the, a contractor is going to pave a lay concrete for a sidewalk in your community. Typically, that community has what's called a Miller Law, and the Miller Law, anything over $15,000 has to be bonded. Why does it have to be bonded? It has to be bonded. First of all, the bond guarantees that the contractors qualified to do the work. They are concrete people. They're not roofers. The bond guarantees that they're going to show up on June 9th and that the sidewalk's going to be completed and done on August 30th. It is a guarantee of performance. And if they don't, guarantee, the surety company will come in and hire another contractor to finish it. And then unlike insurance, they'll go to the original contractor and say, hey, you didn't show up for that job. We spent $250,000 finishing it. You owe us $250,000. The organization you worked with ended up not being the one you were going to retire with. So can you talk about the fit for the type of work you were in versus maybe not the organization that you started with and the decision of how to know to move on but still stay in the industry? Sure. So, yeah, 2008, everything went under. 2009, I, I shut everything down. And I started working for the organization that you're talking about. And what I didn't realize is that organization had just been sold and I was supposed to take over the bond department but I didn't know anything about bonds. And the person that ran the bond department 
didn't know or understand that when you sell your company, you're no longer in charge. <laughs> and, yeah. and you have to do what the big corporate industry uh, yeah, that owns your company now tells you to do, namely train Nevin Byer. And uh, he did not want to train me. I was not his hire. There was a young woman that he wanted to hire and they didn't hire her. They hired me. And so therefore he just ignored me. So I had to go to school, so to speak. They had a basement full of files. So I would go down in the basement and read bonds and read files and uh, try to learn that way. I went to some privately offered schools and try to learn that way and uh, basically got self-taught and then I made friends with some of the customer service reps that, that knew bonds and, and they taught me some things and I went to every seminar that I could possibly attend. I remember this is my first job out of college. I, did, I had to get my insurance licenses. I had to learn what insurance was. When I was interviewing, it was more like, we believe you have a skill set that would do well in insurance and sold you on the organization, sold you on the opportunities. And like you said, the business was sold. So things changed from when I had my agreement signed compared to when I actually started. And I remember walking in and one of the target accounts was the Hershey company. And I'm a confident person. I really do believe if I have the right skills and training, mm-hmm. I'm able to go out and do business with anybody. However, I'm just out of college. I don't have my licenses yet. I don't know insurance from, you know, forearm to elbow. I'm sitting there going, I want to be able to get my nose punched by some people that are not the Hershey company. I want to go out and figure some of this stuff out with some people that are willing to understand that I'm not the guru of insurance. They just need somebody to pick up the phone, call them back, make sure the I's are dotted, T's are crossed, and then then give me the opportunity to go out for people like that. I think that's where there was some some struggles there for me too. Do you think... You had the success in your career because of what you had to go through to self-educate, to get yourself going, made a difference? Or do you think you would have ended up the same way if you would have had a better mentor? Wow. That's a loaded question. Well, you know, there, there, there was a guy there previously who has a horrible reputation in the industry and did all kinds of bad things in, in surety bonds. Had he stayed, he left right before I started. But had he stayed and taught me, you know, I might have learned incorrectly. So yeah. maybe my self-education taught me how to do things the correct way. <laughs> yeah. But the, one of the things I discovered when I was doing my basement file reading was that they used to have a company that did bonds for other insurance brokers. And they would actually sign an agreement with those other insurance brokers that, hey, if we, you let us do your bonds we won't go after your client's insurance. Perfect. So I went around and started calling on insurance agencies. I figured, well, they know contractors. They have good relationships with contractors. They can just send the business to me. I'll do the bonds. They keep the insurance. They'll be happy. I'll be happy. We'll all make money. So I signed up 10 agencies and six of them were part of the franchise system that I work for now. And I had no idea what it was. I left our old company and I had a borrowed laptop from that agency and a plastic card table and some really ratty basement office space and I started this bond of vision from scratch and and I tell you you really want to learn a business start something from scratch because you will learn every single thing about 
every single thing. Yeah. <laughs> Whether you want to or not, this franchise system is in 26 states. So before I just kind of knew Pennsylvania. Now I know, you know, all about alcohol tax bonds in Tennessee. And I know all about environmental runoff bonds and starting something from the ground up, you really get an education. And, and now I'm the expert. What I learned is you're somebody that always wanted to succeed and you're willing to educate and keep going, even if you had barriers thrown at you. And that's important because not everything's going to be easy. Not everything's going to go well. When you got into a new industry, it seemed like a great idea. And you saw Matthew McConaughey green lights. You saw an opportunity to not just having to keep calling end user. It's like, hey, I can call people that already have end users established. I don't have to try to break their relationships. I just have to have a product that they can come to me on that they don't know much about. So if I can educate more than them, I still at that time don't have to be an expert. I just have to know more than they do to feel like I am the expert. I think a lot of times people in today's world, they want somebody to tell them what they need to do to be successful. Yes. And unfortunately, when these green lights or these opportunities come up, you have to have enough intuition to recognize it. And then you have to have the work ethic and dedication and figuring out what you don't know. You got to be willing to put in the work to find it out and learn and ask people or find mentors that can help you. And it's a dirty word, but you have to be willing to fail. Yeah. You, know, you are going to fail. And when you're trying new things that you don't know and you've never done before, you know, you can do lots of research and hopefully talk to a mentor and see what other people are doing, but you still might fail. And failure is a part of success. If you look at Richard Branson, he's had all kinds of, of different types of businesses. He's a serial entrepreneur. He's had all kinds of different types of businesses that he has started and failed. We hear about the successes, but if you watch his bio, He's failed more times than he hasn't. They used to have virgin record stores and nobody buys records anymore. Yeah, that's a failure. <laughs> one of my best friends told me one time, like, best way to look at failure is what did I learn? And if you can yeah. keep that concept of what did I learn, don't say like I failed. It's like, okay, yeah, maybe this didn't end the way I planned it when I started it, but look at everything I've learned along the way. And then how do you apply what you learn to the next thing you do or the next thing you're trying to accomplish? Because yeah, I mean, even you said working out earlier, you're a fit guy. Like the fact is you can't, you can't get to a bigger weight lifting unless you fail and then keep pushing and fail and yeah. keep pushing. And eventually you grow and you, so, so there's so much there that it just makes sense. And, and learn from those, you know, learn from those failures or those mistakes. Okay. That didn't work. The last thing I wanted to say before asking a couple of final questions to you is you mentioned, it's like, Hey, if you're not seeing the results you want, it may be in the things that you're bringing up and you don't even recognize them. So I'm a big believer in practicing your presentations, having somebody that is a third party, just like your third party opportunity for other people that don't necessarily know everything about surety. If you're somebody that's not really sure why the results you're getting aren't what you desire, it's probably because of what you're saying and how you're saying it. And instead of doing it in front of end user, do it to somebody like me, reach out to me and say, Hey Jeff, I, I want, I want to practice my pitch. I want to figure out what I'm not doing well, because I can tell you if you work on it, you will get better. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, two questions to finalize this awesome segment for somebody that's either in sales and struggling or somebody that's thinking about getting into sales. What would you tell them? Oh, wow. Learn. I think a lot of us, including me, when I was in my 20s, be quiet and listen. <laughs> we tend to get full of bravado and talk too much. You can lose the sale from talking too much. 
in my, my business, I have to listen very carefully because a lot of times there's a certain class of bond called a developer's bond. And that's what they need. But they keep telling me they need a performance bond, which is completely different class of bond. So listen to your customer, listen to what they're saying and find out what their need is. If you can fill their need, the, the sale is, is a lot easier. Just like the Howard Stern story and surety bonds, I don't do any advertising. It's all, it's all word of mouth. Well, going to that. So where can people find out more about you since you're like the quiet surety bond guy? (laughs) (laughs) www.keystoneinsgrp.com. There's a page on there for surety bonds that has all my contact information. If you're a contractor, I can deal with you directly. One, one of the biggest takeaways that I wanted people to hear from your story and from this episode is, listen, we have no crystal balls. We have no idea if the next recession is coming tomorrow or next year or anything else. But when you hear somebody like Nevin, who owned his business, did really well, went through something that he couldn't, unfortunately, fight against, those regulations that were put in place. And I'm sure there was a lot of, oh, crap moments for you. And there was a lot of, that was probably your biggest sleepless nights was during that phase. Oh, but, I didn't sleep at all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you came out of it because you knew that was not the end of your story. Mm-hmm. And I would tell anybody, you might be in something right now. If you're making hay, make, make hay while the hay's good to make. But there could be some outside factors that come into place that could prevent you from doing as well as you did yesterday. That's life. And you're going to have to pivot. You're going to have to find ways to keep going. You're going to have to find different paths that you haven't gone down. And if you have that inside of you, you can do it. But you can't just crawl up in a ball and say, somebody come help me. Because if that's who you are, then unfortunately, when that recession does hit, that's what you'll be. If you're somebody that's like, you know what? I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to figure out. And that's who I believe you are, Nevin. Look at you. You're president of a surety bond. You didn't even know what that was a few years back. So... Look at Nevin's story and and think about that. Thank you. One of the things you didn't ask, but I'm going to throw it in anyway. You asked me what my favorite business book is. Yeah. And it's not actually a business book. It's how to win friends and influence people. Okay. If you apply the strategies, and I read it in my 20s, and I I didn't listen to it. I thought it was old man talk because he uses a lot of examples from the 30s and the 40s. And, but if you apply those same principles of winning friends and influencing people to business, you'll never work a day in your life because your customers will become your friends. And if they trust you, like you, you know, they're never going to buy from somebody other than Jeff again. A whole lot of really great and simple messages, positivity. I use it with my employees too. I don't criticize when they did something wrong. I praise when they did something right. Because what happens when you praise, when they do something, they're going to do it again. They screwed up. They know they screwed up. Uh, Let's move on to the next thing. And then when they do it right, I'm going to tell them, oh, that was great. You did a really good job. That was great. Which is a lot of what that book says. Do you know who the author of that book is? Dale Carnegie. I read it again over the pandemic. And it it really, really changed a lot of the ways I I do things. I was just saying, podcast episodes like this or books like Nevin's talking about, the key is some of this stuff isn't world changing from the standpoint of, hey, be nice to people. We all need those reminders, especially if we're going through some difficult challenges in life or you lose a deal, something doesn't go your way, you're having some issues personally, whatever it is. Some of these things are just needed to get those juices going again, just to get your mind frame put back into the right space and continue to grind. Nice. 
Awesome. Dude, well, listen, everybody, I know you guys are going to enjoy this episode with Nevin. Nevin, appreciate you doing this. This is Jeff Hill and Nevin Byer selling stories. Everybody, have a great day. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs>